Dear founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please make sure to take out your phone, go to whichever app you use to listen to podcasts, open it up and scroll down to Dear Founder. Please make sure you leave a five-star rating or review to let others know you have no idea how much I appreciate it. So thank you so much and thank you for being here. But before I introduce you to today's amazing guest, I want to remind you that time is running out to join me for my latest program to support you and your small business. Following my last workshop in March, many of you told me you wanted a program with more information, more how-to instruction, and more time with me in order to learn how to grow your brand. So I've reworked the program from earlier this spring, and I'm excited to launch Big Impact Marketing for Small Business with little to no budget. This 12-week program is a combination of weekly live trainings, the same trainings I use for my one-on-one clients, but in a group setting. And in between there, you are also going to get three one-on-one coaching sessions with me so that we can make sure that you are maintaining your progress and ultimately growing your business. This is a program I designed to save you the five years it took me to figure out how to grow my business to seven figures. You'll learn what to do and what not to do in order to catapult your business to new heights. Click the link in my show notes for more info. There are only a few spots left. Class starts Monday, May 24th, so there's only a couple days left to join me. Make sure that you check it out, and of course, let me know if you have any questions. So today's guest is a special one, and someone I've known for quite some time. Carrie Meggie is an entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience behind her, but that isn't what we're going to be talking about today here on the podcast. She is also the founder of a foundation bearing the namesake of her late son, Jackson Chance Foundation. So I met Carrie in 2013. I was very visibly pregnant, as you will likely see from the picture that I'm going to share um, promoting this episode at some point this week. Um, And Carrie was also pregnant, but she was not visibly pregnant. Um, We met on the kind of like step and repeat for an event that we were holding for a bump club and beyond. And Carrie, we were we were benefiting and trying to draw awareness to Jackson Chance Foundation. Carrie and her husband are so remarkable. And as I tell her over and over again, I am just in awe of what they've accomplished together um, following the death of their child, Jackson. Carrie and her husband founded the Jackson Chance Foundation in 2013, and it's a nonprofit that supports critically ill babies by removing the financial burden of parking fees. And for those of you who don't know, if you are going to visit a baby in the NICU and you are going to visit and go in and out over and over again, one month costs about $1,000 in parking. So by removing the fees, they're ultimately giving every family the opportunity to be with their child in the neonatal intensive care unit, which is also called the NICU, when their babies are critically 
critically ill and um, getting the care that they need. In 2016, Carrie was honored for her philanthropic work and was named a CNN hero and chosen as one of Chicago Magazine's Chicagoans of the Year. In 2020, the foundation will provide over 90,000 days of parking to families at Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, Northwestern Medicine Prentice Women's Hospital, and Rush Children's Hospital. The nonprofit has raised over $5.4 million to date. Please come on in and meet my friend, Carrie Maggie. She is a remarkable soul, and I am just beyond honored that she is here today to share her story with all of us. All right, today on Dear Founder, we have an extra special guest. We have Carrie Maggie, who is the founder of Jackson Chance Foundation and also an entrepreneur. But before I introduce you to her, I want to share that Carrie and I met a long time ago we, I was visibly pregnant. Carrie was not. And um, we met during my bump club days because of her work with Jackson Chance Foundation. And I'm not going to steal any of Carrie's thunder because she. I want her to share her incredible, incredible story with all of you. But what Carrie has done and how she has taken a very, very personal situation and tragedy and turned it into a foundation that is helping thousands of families is honestly remarkable. So Carrie, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being so willing and open to sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful for the opportunity to to share the story. Of course. So I guess the best way to get started is really to kind of take us through your story and how you got to where you are and how Jackson Chance came to be. Yeah. So, um, I, um, gave birth to Jackson, um, on 11, 11, 11 at 11, 11 PM. And I always start with that because I just think, um, it's such a remarkable time to have been born. And he really was a remarkable, you know, baby who has touched so many in, you know, short life. So, um, I, he, he was 10 weeks premature. Um, it was very, um, unexpected to, you know, for him to come early to be in the hospital. And so we were kind of just, you know, really caught off guard. Um, it was very scary emergency C-section, you know, we're in the hospital and then, you know, it's kind of just a whirlwind. You're just, you know, going through it day by day and, um, you know, just doing whatever you can to take care of your child. Um, he spent um, just shy of 10 months in two different hospitals in Chicago before he passed away. And um, when he did pass away, that's when we started the Jackson Chance Foundation in his honor to help um, support babies like him. So tell us a little bit more about Jackson Chance Foundation and what it does and how it supports families. Yeah. So um, our mission is really simple. It's to get families to their babies in the hospital. And when uh, we're in the NICU, we were shocked at um, the high cost of parking and even more surprised at how many babies we saw in the NICU in the hospital who were alone and that the cost of parking was truly an obstacle causing families not to be able to be there with their babies um, as much as they wanted, as often as they wanted. So when we were deciding um, what we wanted the foundation to do, we kept going back to how um, happy Jackson was um, considering everything. And we truly 
um, attributed to that, we were able to be there with him each and every day. And so um, we wanted to give that gift to other families and other babies. Uh, Terry and I went, you know, every day, multiple times a day. And I think it was after the first six weeks where we're just, you know, swiping the credit card in and out and I get the bill and I was like, you know, Terry, I, it's like we just spent $2,000 on parking. Like uh, how, like, that's crazy. How is that? You know, I, you were, I, you, you weren't even thinking about it. Right. You just, I mean, you were, but you weren't. And so um, we were personally very shocked at this became our greatest out-of-pocket expense. It was something that was so, you know, significant and meaningful. So we wanted to remove that burden for families. So our foundation um, created the NICU transportation program, and we provide parking passes to every baby at three different hospitals in Chicago locally. How do you go from experiencing this unthinkable tragedy that, I mean, I, I, I've known you for a long time and I still like cannot understand how you have moved forward the way you have moved forward, but how do you take this and turn this around the way that you did? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I get that perspective. I really do. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, don't call my son's life a tragedy. Don't call what I, we went through a tragedy. Like that almost makes me more, not no more upset. It makes me really, it really bothers me to be that poor mom or like have those negative, anything attributed to Jackson because that, yes, it's, I mean, yes, I wish he was here. It was terrible, but I mean, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Like we had him for 10 months. Like he was amazing and special and I was not going to be that poor mom. I was going to honor him. I'm not going to be that that woman who falls apart. I'm not going to be that poor woman who lost her child. I feel like that would be such a dishonor to Jackson. I, mean, I kept thinking about if something happened to me, what would I want for my mom? I would want her to be proud and like enjoy, you know what I mean? Appreciate the time we had together and not like have her life ruined or have people feel like, you know what I'm saying? Um, so that was not going to be my identity. So, um, that was the initial, like, okay, I, you know, um, how do I move forward from here? What happens there? You know, we had some medical issues and some other things. So conversations about what to do. And I was like, okay, even if we go that route and, you know, hire an attorney and blah, 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 and ended up, I'm like, I wouldn't spend a penny. I would donate it to charity. And that's when Terry and I'm like, okay, let's start charity. Like, let's just go that route. Um, so it's kind of, kind of the early conversations. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. 
The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. I so appreciate you saying that. And I'm sorry, because I don't want, I I hope you are not offended that I said that. No, no, I'm not. Okay. But I wanted to ask what I know everyone is thinking, right? Because it's like, you know, it is an unthinkable thing to lose a child. And the fact that you had that perspective and turned it around to what you did and and are now helping so many people is remarkable. And it speaks volumes about you and Terry and your character and how you have moved forward in raising your kids, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, that's, it's, it it really is a remarkable perspective. And I think people need to hear it because I think, and you Mm -hmm. can correct me if I'm wrong, because this is kind of my next question, but you know, this helped you to move forward. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And to, yes, mourn the loss of Jackson, but to not do so in vain. Absolutely. It absolutely was definitely helped me move forward. It also gives me the opportunity. I mean, death is, especially the death of a child. It's such a difficult subject for especially other people to talk about. And it gives me a way to talk about Jackson, incorporate him in our lives I mean, my, I go to the cemetery on the 11th every month. My um, younger, my other son, Max, comes with me. He's gone since he was born every month with me. He wants, he'll say, let's go visit Jackson. Like, it's so, like, like he talks about, like, him in a way where it's, he understands that he's dead and he gets what that means. But it's just, it's, it's a way to be able to, you know, incorporate in a way that, I guess, makes other people less uncomfortable, too, where I can still talk about him and enjoy him and it's not this, you know, I mean, it's still sad, but it's like, it gives a little joy to being able to incorporate him in our lives too. Well, I think also you just said something that I think is really important. Like as much as you are doing so much work from like a monetary standpoint to help families, you are doing a lot of support work as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what you are doing supports families and supports others. And, and you're right. People are very uncomfortable talking about death, especially yeah. death of a child. And yeah. To talk about it as openly as you always have since the day I met you. Yeah. You know, that helps people on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, that's what I hope. I mean, it's certainly, um, you know, all of this has happened very kind of organically and naturally. And it's, I, it's weird because, you know, people say, how did you choose or how did you, whatever? I say, it's almost like I didn't have a choice. Like I just was not. I was so uncomfortable in my skin in certain ways that I just made choices that took me out of that. Right. So like, um, it wasn't, um, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's where just my, where I had to go. Like, I just, I didn't really feel like there was much of a a choice, you know? So how long after Jackson's passing, did you guys move forward with this officially? Um, well, we initially, you know, as many do, you know, had 10 donations in Jackson's honor for the funeral. So that was immediate. But then we started, so I think it was by um, two months that we decided we wanted to do something, but it was on a much smaller scale. So, you know, we wanted to raise like twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 So 
Um, and then what happened was in the following year with um, maybe like six, seven, eight months, I was actually, I had started, um, we owned and operated a hotel, the Hard Rock Hotel at the time. And I had started um, a program called the Nursing Mothers Program. And we partnered with Medela and we offered for nursing mothers a hospital grade breast pump, a refrigerator, a microwave to sterilize all the supplies that they would need. And we were getting some press on that. And I was talking with um, a writer, a local woman, Jody. Um, she was doing an article and she's like, wait a minute, how did you come up with this idea? So I started telling her, well, when my son was in the NICU, I would, um, you know, run to work for like three hours, run back to the hospital, back and forth. And I would pump and I just, this experience was, was just, you know, terrible. And it made me think, you know, for, for woman travelers. So then she started asking more about the foundation and then she ended up writing an article on the foundation, which became the Sunday cover story in June of 20, what was that? 20, 2013. And then it just blew up. Um, I think within, I think it was, you know, two weeks I had, a, you know, a stack of checks literally this high at, you know, just people sending it to me. Um, we had, you know, probably almost a hundred thousand dollars in donations within a month, but, you know, within six months, we were close to 400 where it, so it was clear, clearly that it was, um, you know, people resonated with it and there was something here. And then, you know, Tara and I said, okay, this is, this is, you know, meaningful dollars. We need to get our shit together and figure out how to do this and then make it official and just, you know, go from there. So how, what were the steps that you took to yeah. make it official? Because I think a lot of people, you know, it goes a lot, there are a lot of ways to yeah. kind of look at this, right? So there, there are definitely a lot of people who are in a situation like you who mm -hmm. experience something and due to their own experience, want to start a foundation to yeah. help others. There are also a lot of business owners out there who want to start a foundation that coincides with their business to help others in the realm of their business. So yeah. I think, you know, there are a lot of people listening that can benefit from hearing from you kind of how this happened. And also, you know, I, I'm glad you shared that about the one piece of press because that's really all it takes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like if not for that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what would have happened, but I mean, we had already officially done the 501c3 paperwork. And um, I remember I submitted that in December of the same year Jackson passed. So we passed in September and I had it that, you know, 100 page application done and submitted and um, in December. And I remember vividly our approval was on my father's birthday, uh, March 17th of, of, you know, the following year. So by the time the article came, we were an official um, 501c3, but I think it more became, okay, this is real. Let's, let's pursue it. Let's put some more time and energy. I mean, we both had full-time jobs. We had other responsibilities. Um, by the time the article aired, I was pregnant um, already that quickly. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, a crazy year, but um, we just decided, okay, let's have, people kept telling us, have an annual event. You should do it. Um, and it was, you know, we were unsure if we wanted to, but this was really the catalyst to say, okay, let's do it. So you have all of these donations mm -hmm. and then how is it that you decide what and how to do with them? Oh, okay. Well, we had been working with Lori's already and we had um, set up a parking fund. So we knew from before we 
even applied for the 501c3, we determined that it was going to be parking. And one of the things I think in hindsight is the biggest, um, like really important decision that we made was that we decided we were going to provide parking and parking and parking and parking, only parking. And we got a lot of people calling and pulling us, asking for other things. And we stayed very true to, nope, we're going to stick with one thing. We're going to be really focused. And I think because of that, we are very, very clear on what we provide. Our impact is clear or your money goes is clear. There's no confusion. And that's really the feedback from our donors has been very positive that that's something that they think sets us apart and makes them feel really kind of secure and, you know, in, in donating to us. So how did you go from expanding from one hospital to three and at this point and at the point of you doing so, was it still just you and Terry? Um, at this point, it was still just, just us. Um, but I have to say that I had a wide, we had a wide support network being entrepreneurs and owning businesses. And they mentioned that I was, you know, I was the general manager of the Hard Rock Hotel at the time. And I had the whole, this is where we had 200 employees who were the most amazing supportive people who wanted to help. And then another thing I realized was they kept presenting ideas of how to incorporate the foundation into the hotel. And I was really like kind of unsure about, you know, kind of mingling the two together. And I started like people kept telling me, people want to help. They want this. This makes them feel good. This makes them feel good as your employee. This makes them, um, this is not just for you. There is no like, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of like concern about it, you know, it, it's supporting, you know, supporting, um, you know, something related. And so they kept presenting all these ideas and we had upgrades at check-in and donations and everything, you know, from them. So when it, it was just tearing up, we had so many like amazing people who were supporting, you know, us th throughout that. And we had a board, we, you know, we obviously to get a 501c3, we had a very small board board when we first launched, I think it was like six people. So I was going to ask you, so yeah. that was my next question. So great yeah. segue. Thank you. Yeah. How, yes. <laughs> how, and when did you, did you decide to build a board? Obviously you yeah. had to do it to get the, to yeah. get everything filed properly, but like talk about the assembly of a board and yeah. what's important when someone is assembling a board for a foundation. Yeah. I mean, our early board, I think, was very different than our board now. So early on, it was about um, we chose board members. We had um, um, NICU like parents who were impacted. We had a close supporter and family friend who was very um, integral in helping us navigate some of Jackson's health issues, who was a PEDS ER doctor at the time at Comer and she was one of our founding board members. And then um, I believe we had um, a executive team member from the hotel who'd also been, it's one, maybe two, I can't remember exactly, but um, at the time. So it was really um, people who brought different strengths and who, you know, it was new and like, you know, we didn't know where it was gonna go. So it was people we had close relationships with who we knew were gonna like, you know, just do whatever it took to kind of get the word out there. And how has that board evolved over time? Um, we are a fundraising organization, right? So we raise money and provide funds to pay for the parking. It's really that simple. So our board members now, you, most of them have some connection to the cause or to 
a person who has a connection to the cause. So that is really kind of one kind of not requirement, but it just seems to kind of just go with the, the ones, but it's people who are, have, um, who are, you know, have the ability to help us fundraise by bringing in sponsors or supporting events or donations or, you know, creating awareness. So you now have one full-time employee at the foundation. We do. And which I think is incredible and also probably integral to your growth and your sanity. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I I would love to know kind of when, when you realized you could have that employee and And how it was that you found the right person, because I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak to personal connection and, you know, Mary's amazing. And, um, and she, she's just, you, you can feel her, her love for the foundation and what you do in every conversation you have with her, but she is also so tasked and gets things done. And so like, how, how did this happen? And how do you find the right person? Because that yeah. if you only have one employee, you have it's to make critical. sure it's the right person. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she wasn't our first one employee. We had someone before her, but we started off kind of slowly where um, we had, you know, an office manager assistant through our company, Becker Ventures. And we decided we would allocate, you know, 40% of her time to help support the foundation. Um, I mean, we didn't, we probably didn't do it properly but like we wanted to have we wanted every penny to go to the go to the you know to support the families um and then when we had our first event we were lucky we had it at the hotel so we had the whole team of the hotel who was supporting it and then we brought on someone to help support the event and then her role kind of migrated um into you know a full-time a full-time role so it started off as being you know a part-time or consultant person and then ended up being a full-time and then I think Mary's been around for four years. And when the person prior to Mary left, um, she, uh, we found Mary through a referral through um, a supporter. And, she, and I mean, she feels so strongly about what you guys are doing. And I think that that is yeah. so important for any foundation in terms of thinking about who they want to hire and why. Yeah. And, and it, they have to walk the walk and talk the talk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she has a lot of um, experience in non-for-profits and organizing events, and um, but her passion for what we do in supporting the families and is just, you know, unmatched. And she's just, she's one, her energy is like just amazing. She's, we're so lucky to have her. Talk to me a little bit about how JCF has grown and, you know, how you have gone from like kind of receiving this stack of checks in the mail in response yeah. to a, an article to what you are doing now and what it is you are doing now to fundraise. Because one of the things that I love so much about your organization is the creative ways that you fundraise. And it's, you, you don't just like hold a gala and like, that's it. I mean, it's like you really do interesting, meaningful, impactful things and events that people remember and yeah. know you for. Thank you. Um, well, we, we've tried to like, just like we try to stay focused with our mission from early on, we've said we want to have one main event and then we have another, we have like, we have two, two main events annually, but it's really easy to also get spread thin and do a lot of smaller events. And we've stayed really disciplined and just parking. And we have our ping pong ball, which is our annual event. And we have our annual bike ride. 
And the other third-party events that we do, um, we will support in kind of back-end ways, but we, with one employee and board members and all volunteers, we have to be really smart with our resources. So the um, the the ping pong ping pong ball came about uh, again because I was working with Killer Spin, the table tennis company, on another initiative, and a colleague of, of mine, we were brainstorming, we we're like, this would be really fun because we would we were used to being, you know, there's all these other like kind of black tie galas and. Frankly, him and I were like, oh, we're getting dragged to it. Uh, you know what I mean? They weren't like, we weren't always looking forward to going to them. And I was like, oh my God, I, I personally was pregnant. I, you know, it's still like not myself after losing Jackson. I'm like, I do not want to like go buy a dress and do a pedicure and what, you know, and all the stuff that goes into it. So we wanted to just do something a little more lighthearted and fun. And we were working with Killer Spin and they were like, they were super excited to jump on board and do an event. And we decided to create the ping pong ball, which had a lot of like marketing times too, where you can buy a table. So like at a black side gala, you buy a table, you can actually buy a table and you get a ping pong ball table and you get a brand and you can send it to your break room or your employee room. So there's just a lot of legs for us to really kind of market and put it out there. And so um, that became our like our main annual fundraiser. How much do you say you would you bring in from each of the from that event every year? Um, you know, I have to say COVID has put a change, you know, a little things we haven't had in two years, but typically it was around the four, four hundred and fifty thousand dollar mark. Um, which is awesome. And then you also right. have the bike ride. Yes, we also have the bike ride, which is really driven by my husband Terry, who is a um really you know enjoys biking and so we do an 111 uh, mile bike ride it's a two-day event every august um and a group of us ride from chicago to valparaiso we spend the night and then we uh, ride back the next day last year i think we had around 30 people and raise our goal was one hundred eleven thousand dollars, and we hit it um so it's been really um and our, that's been more of an organic event really trying to you know learn and grow it because we didn't really know how to start an event like that but it's been um it's been really meaningful to people and um you know the fundraising has been doing great so you know as you're talking you know it's funny because we're talking about a foundation but there are so many things that people who are listening can take away from this conversation mm-hmm. and apply to business and I know you are also a very successful business person and entrepreneur as well but you know the things that you're saying you know to stay focused to stay true to yourself to not spread yourself thin to use your resources wisely these are principles that don't only make a foundation strong, they're what makes a, the foundation of a business strong yeah. too. Yeah. And, you know, not to say that you run JCF like a business, but yeah. you are definitely applying these principles that you are not trying to be everything to everyone, which is something that I would rec- I, that I do recommend yeah. to my clients and yeah. entrepreneurs all the time, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, you know, it was, it's funny you say that because I used, it was very hard mindset for me to go from running a business to running a non-for-profit where I, in my business life, I'm, you know, test and try. I am, you know, reward and recognize. And I'm very, you know, um, not that I'm not generous in the foundation, but like, it's a, it's a different when you're, when you're spending other people's donated dollars, it's a very different pressure evaluation where I'm like, this pen is $2. That's three hours of parking. Right. Um, so, um, it was definitely an interesting to 
to kind of wrap my brain around the differences in both in the similarities. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Where do you see JCF going? How do you see it expanding? What is your hope for it? Yeah. How do you, where do you go from here? Um, that's a really good question. Um, our, I think the, the, our hope and dream is that, you know, when I'll speak just for myself, when I leave this earth, I would love to know that parking will be covered at the major Chicago hospitals in perpetuity. So if, um, there is, you know, um, enough funds and, you know, raised to sustain it where, um, we can, you know, I can, I can leave knowing that that will be, you know, a win for us. We do get a lot of requests from outside hospitals and other parts of the country, um, which would definitely be, um, you know, a potential to expand. Um, but I think I would rather get an endowment set up where we could cover Lurie Apprentice Rush Comer here before, um, we would, you know, take that route to go outside of Chicago. I was going to ask if like you have ever thought about having like someone like you running it in another city or, you know, and I know yeah. other organizations, even locally here are, yeah. are extensions of organ, bigger organizations in other parts of the country. So if that, if that is something that if you did get an endowment yeah. and did set it up, is that something that you would hope to do or want yeah. to do? Absolutely. And we've definitely, we've got, and we've had conversations with some of the other top kind of national hospitals and, um, and we would definitely, we would explore that now if it made sense. If there was, um, I mean, I personally would not do that unless I could ensure its success. So we would want to make sure we had, you know, the right team, the right resources in order to, to implement it. Because when we first started each of the hospitals, my biggest concern was starting and stopping. I like I did not want to. So the original goal was to raise three years of the cost of parking before we would start the hospital, and then um, you know same time with our expansion. So we have a a, a a meaningful surplus, which allows which allowed us to not have any concerns through COVID, where we could still support our families without pause, thank goodness, because we, you know, we don't overspend our, 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 you know, the, the dollars that we have. So before we would expand, I would just want to make sure that we were in that same type of position. I, I love how you think about this because I do think that there are so many people that whether it's a foundation or business, yeah. obviously fly by the seat of their pants and yeah. we, we all know them and, you know, I'm guilty of it sometimes too, but when you have people relying on you the way that you do, no one prepares for something like COVID. And so the fact that you were able to continue to support them, you know, these families that rely on you, especially, I mean, people were still having babies. It wasn't like we yeah. stopped because COVID came. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's um, in every business I've had, I've been a customer or a user or a buyer, but it's very different where this is an organization created by parents for parents just like them, where um, where people say, you know, we gave them what they needed without them even knowing they needed it kind of thing. So some, you know, some of the, the, um, the you know, responses that we get is just, it's, it's amazing, but like we truly, you know, we, we know, and I would, we know what it would feel like to, you know, not have it again. So we just didn't want to ever risk that happening. Well, and that is the type of organization that you are because most people who use what you provide yeah. 
don't ever think that they're going to need it and don't even know that it exists until they're in it. So right. to have you looking out for them, it's like you're their mm-hmm. angel looking out for them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Jackson is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes a strong foundation? Um, that's, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of things, but I think, um, for us, it's transparency and, um, impacts. So I think people really, um, there's something like we have a lot of small donors. Like we have thousands and thousands of donors and many do some do 20 bucks a month. I mean, we have larger ones, but it's, it's what I've learned is it's, um, unusual to have so many smaller donors versus one or two kind of major supporters. Um, but oh, I think what causes people to take that next step is knowing one where their, their money is going and the impact, because what's also um, something that I think that we do that is really, um, um, you know, meaningful and not typical is that um, we provide, we give every family a monthly parking pass, which gives them unlimited in and out privileges to the garage, which they can use. They can, you know, I can pull in, pass it to my husband, pass it to a grandpa. It's for anyone who wants to use it. There's no restrictions. Um, a individual who would have a baby in the NICU does not have the ability or opportunity to get one of these passes. I know I tried, we tried everywhere, but you, they're long-term, they're contracts. You can't, you know, most people don't know if they're going to be there two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, the day by day. So you can't get this pass. So if you have a 24 seven unlimited pass and you go to the garage, you know, one to two times a day for 30 days, that will cost you a thousand of dollars or more. And a donor can donate $300, which would then save a family over a thousand dollars. So to have an organization where not only do you donate, you know, exactly what your money's going for, but your impact can actually save a family more than you're donating. is just really unique. And I think, well, I was going to say, I think it's really important that you said that because the way that you looked at this and the way that you decided on how to do yeah. this to your point, the impact is far greater than the financial donation. And right. those are the opportunities that I think when you're starting a foundation, you want to think about, you want to think yeah. about like, what can I do to make the most impact for the amount of money raised? And I don't think everyone necessarily, every foundational, it's yeah. not like a common yeah. thing to think about, but you yeah. knew what you had to do you know, right. and, and you talk about that so that, you know, it makes people want to donate even more because they yeah. know that they're, you know, saving triple what they're donating. Right. Right. And I mean, I remember like, you know, years ago talking with Terry to other people like, okay, what's the quote elevator pitch? Like what's our two cents of what we're doing? Like people are going to be giving us their hard earned money. I mean, they need, like, we need to have a very clear, easy way to articulate to communicate what we're doing. And the best way to do that is actually to do something that's really clear and easy to understand. So I think in um, a lot of, you know, charities that can be a little bit hard to articulate where the money's going and what's, what's being done with it. And I was on, you know, the other side of this, especially running a hotel, being asked for donations constantly. So I had that experience and I had a lot of like takeaways from what I didn't like or would 
you know, what didn't encourage me to donate, which, you know, or what did encourage me to donate. So I tried to really think through those. What are some of those takeaways? Like when you were on the other side of things, like what was it that would make you donate or not donate to an organization? I think that's really important for people starting a foundation or thinking about it to, to know. I mean, one of the things that I found the most frustrating, or I'll just say annoying was when people talked around it, like, like just ask, just say, will you support? Will you donate? Do you, you know, and then be okay with the no, right? At the same time. But I personally like got frustrated with the circle talk, the wasting of time, the premise of pretending it was something else when they really just wanted a donation. And I'd be happy to give the donation. And then really um understanding what was going to happen with the the donation and the funds. Where was it going to go? Supporting a needy ex, like. What does that mean? So really understanding how it's being supported, I think are, you know, two of the big takeaways I had. What would you tell someone who wants to start a foundation? Like what would be three things that you should say, okay, here's what you have to do. Here's like, like, and if you want to do five, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) Um, I think the one first and foremost for me personally is I feel like you got to not only speak from your heart, but speak from your action. So like, I, Terry and I donate money significantly to the foundation, our time to the foundation. And I would, I would never feel okay asking anyone else to do the same. It's a requirement of our board members, not because, you know, it's just because they need to donate. It's because how can you go out and ask somebody for something you're not willing to give or do yourself? So I think um, it has to be a cause that you feel passionate about and you are committed to at the same time. Gosh, what else? Um, like I said before, I think being very, you know, clear and thoughtful in the mission and the impact will be very, very important. And having transparency in everything that you're doing and your numbers um, is important. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, and it's it's something I personally did not anticipate. Um, it's it's a job. It's a lot of work. It's it's um, early on, I would say, okay, this is the time I would be spending with Jackson that I'm not spending now. So I would carve out. But I remember thinking once I had my other son, okay, what if there's a conflict of priorities? And I, as soon as I thought that, of course, I get asked to do this big press thing on Maxim's first day of preschool. And um, I went to take Maxim to preschool because that had to be the priority. But for me, it was really helpful that I had in my mind outlined priorities and knew if, if there's a conflict, I take care of my one that's here right now versus, you know, versus not. But I also, at the same time, instead of feeling guilty of spending time away from my family or my other job, I'm like, okay, if Jackson was here, I'd be spending a lot more time taking care of him. Um, but it's, it takes, it's a lot of work. It's a commitment and a lot of work. Carrie Maggie, founder of Jackson Chance Foundation. Thank you so much for not only your time, but also your devotion to this cause and to sharing your story and to being so transparent about your story because it's not easy and you you are really just someone I've always looked up to and you know from the minute I met you in 2013 I was just enamored with how you did this and how you moved forward with this and I, I think that what you are doing is incredible and you are really you know transforming the lives of so many families who need it so thank you thank you I appreciate that So I think that 
we all could learn a lot from Carrie Meggie, not just about how to start and run a foundation, but honest to God, how to live your life. And um, Carrie is someone that, like I said in the podcast, I have looked up to and um, have just been in awe of for a very, very long time. And I am honestly touched and honored that she was here today sharing her story and Jackson's story with all of us. So Carrie, thank you so much for being here. Your support and your friendship mean so much to me. And um, I'm really and truly dedicated to continuing to drive awareness of the impactful work that you're doing to support families um, who are um, who have babies in the NICU. So thank you so much again for being here. Carrie had some great takeaways about starting a foundation. And so I want you to take out your pen and paper because a lot of these also apply to business as we talked about in today's episode. So number one, sometimes it t- sometimes all it takes is just one piece of press to get your cause and foundation on the map. If you can't get the press, try to find someone to help you. And often because you're a foundation, they will donate their time. Number two, when you start a foundation, you should assemble a board that believe in your cause and are impacted by your cause. People who support you. Number three, when thinking about who you want to hire, when you can make that hire, they have to walk the walk and talk the talk. You also need someone who has nonprofit experience and a passion for your cause. Number four, don't spread yourself too thin. Know what you are doing and your foundation is doing, how you're giving back, and know how you're going to get there. Number five, be smart with your resources. Number six, stay true to yourself and your mission. Number seven, a strong foundation is transparent and has impasse. Number eight, just ask people for their support and be okay with the no. Number nine, be clear on the mission and again, transparent on the numbers. And number 10, it's a lot of work to start a foundation. It is a job. Carve out time to do it and don't be surprised. So again, thank you so much for being here. Carrie, Maggie, thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Dear Founder. Make sure that you are following at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Founder on Instagram. And for more on Jackson Chance Foundation, please click the link in my show notes. You can check out all that they're doing, their amazing fundraisers, and how you can donate. We have some amazing guests coming up, so please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would benefit from today's episode, please make sure to share it with them. You can either text them or share it in your Instagram. Tag Lindsay Pinchuk, and I will be sure to share it or reshare it, I should say, to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Founder coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.